0: Uh, I think uh, this, among other kind of situations in our life, um, just proves there are no stormless seas. Every sea has its own storm. Every sea will have storms all the time. Um, it's guaranteed. There are going to be squalls. There are going to be storms. Now, if you're a sailor, and I'm not, uh, you know that there's going to be a storm. So as a sailor, like you do whatever you do to prepare for it. I don't know batten down hatches. I don't know what battening down even means. Um, but the same is actually true in our lives. There are gonna be storms in our lives, but unlike the sailors who prepare for it, like generally we're ill-prepared for those things. And when they come, they toss us around. Uh, there are also times that even if we know it though, and are prepared for it, those storms come, and they still toss us around. Some storms you just can't prepare for. Some things we go through uh, just have the potential to bring us down. And keep us there. There's a quote from E. E. Cummings that, um, well, he wrote this, he said, King Christ, this world is all a leak, and life preservers there are none. We don't like this thing called fear. Who would? I mean, biologically, we are predisposed to hating fear because otherwise we would die. So it's good to have fear. Uh, if we, but our, often our response is to try and put as much between us and this feeling of fear as possible have as much space in between and not even like fear itself or danger itself but like the possibility of fear or the possibility of danger we try and remove ourselves as far away from that as possible and i think one way that we work that out is kind of putting layer and layer and layer of comfort in our lives so that we're like these bubble wrapped people that believe that if only we have all these things then we will be okay I mean, comfort has to be the farthest thing from fear. So if, if we're going to pick comfort to remove ourselves from fear, from fear. So we pick this, we pick that, we put it all on top of each other. But these layers end up being really thin. And all we need is like one storm to kind of undo it all. And underneath all those thin layers of comfort lies an anxious desperation. Because at any point a fear squall can come. And in searching after comfort, we find that's a leaky bucket. There's always more comfort to be had. We can never have enough. It's kind of like money. After you chase after money, it's not like you ever were like, oh, I have enough money now. I was like, oh, what about 10% more? I could do this. Like, oh, if I just had, like, what about this level of comfort? I could just do this. There's always more money. There's always better jobs. There's always more friends. There's always more entertainment. And we try and heap all of that on top of ourselves so we can cover up our feelings of fear. We try and have the weight of our comfort push those fears down but it can never remove it. And it will always be with us. And when a storm hits, and it will, if you're not in one now, just wait, because it comes. we'll find out we aren't enough. And that is why we live in fear. All of a sudden our comfort that we had was disrupted and we don't have the power and control that we thought we had. Every other part of our lives tell us we're in control. We are powerful. And so we really think we're in control. We really think we're powerful. And when we find ourselves not, That's unnerving. King Christ, this world is all a leak, and life preservers, there are none. So when in a storm, like the disciples, we realize we're not enough and we live in fear. And only Jesus has the power to rescue us in that kind of storm. And I think this story teaches us about rescue. It also teaches us about the identity of the rescuer because jesus is this surprising king that no one expected but the one that we all needed he really in this story shows himself to be god and i i just i actually really like the way that mark tells this story it's a vivid telling he says like oh there are other boats out there he doesn't say like jesus wasn't there it's like jesus he was asleep sleeping on this cushion the cushion wasn't like a um kind of like a, a nice bed or something it was like this like uh sandbag kind of thing of ballast to keep the ship afloat but it was a place where if you didn't know how to sail or fish that's where you go probably to help the boat but kind of uh be able to be steered or oriented or whatever you do to a boat make it well um so that's where people should have been uh and then he has like the brave the waves are breaking over the boat it says they were like nearly swamped it's kind of like this really vivid telling that mark has and what I want to focus on in the story, though, is how, how it teaches us about what we do with fear, about what we do when we realize we're not in control. And so we're going to look at fear when we're threatened, and we're going to look at fear when we're rescued, and then we're going to look at our question of Jesus, the one, same one that the, the disciples are asking, who is this? So let's first talk about our fear when we're threatened. So it's a great storm, and in a great storm, we don't think God's enough, we're not enough, nobody's enough. And nobody cares. There's this furious squall, the storm is going on, a storm big enough for these experienced sailors to be afraid. Remember, they like that was their job was to sail and to catch fish. And these guys are afraid. So it wasn't like a bunch of newbies. Like, well, what do we do? The boat's a little rocky. They're like, we could probably die. And they're fearful. They're flailing about. I mean the disciples at this point have seen Jesus heal a man's shriveled arm. He's seen they've seen Jesus heal a paralyzed man they've seen Jesus not only cast out demons but like tell them to be quiet and they don't and they don't speak anymore they've seen like amazing things and this guy is sleeping and they're still freaking out and also these disciples weren't just random people these were the people who left their lives to follow Jesus they were dedicated to Jesus they were following Jesus the reason why they're in the boat is because they were doing the thing that Jesus told them to do so they're not ignorant they're not heartless. They know all about the good news of Jesus being king because previously Jesus has already charged them to preach that good news. So they know all the things. But now they're in the storm. They didn't have the shriveled arm before. They weren't paralyzed before, but now they are in a problem and they're freaking out. So they rebuke Jesus. They're like, what? So like, you don't care if we drown? Like, what's the deal? I mean, this is, according to them even, this is like the king of the world. And it's like, oh, so you don't care if we drown, Jesus? Thanks, go back to sleep. Hope that cushion's really nice. I mean, but they misinterpret Jesus' peace as actually not caring. Because Jesus is at peace, and they don't get it. Jesus is relaxed. It's not like he doesn't know what a storm is like. It's not like he doesn't know what life-threatening conditions can be like. He created the world, but he's able to sleep. Uh, There's a famous author named Dallas Willard who was once asked to describe Jesus in one word, and really quickly he said, relaxed. That's how he describes Jesus. (laughs) And this is the one who is bringing the new kingdom to bear, bringing the new heavens and earth to bear on the world, and he's relaxed about it. He's never hurried. He's never anxious. He's never fearful. Unlike us, he actually does carry the world on his back, and he's still relaxed. In the middle of a storm where his boat is being swamped, he's not even steering the thing. He's asleep. He's not in control of it at all. He's below. The son knows how much the father cares for him. And Jesus, in this moment, has a peace that is transcending the understanding of the disciples. I once had a neighbor that owned a sailboat. Uh, I was twelve at the time, and so this twenty-five-foot sailboat looked like a big, massive thing. It had a cool, like, cabin that went underneath. had like a sleeping area, like a whole kitchen, a kitchen that still stayed upright even if like the boat rocked. It was like on a swivel thing. It was really fun. Our neighbors. Um, Offered to take me, my younger brother, and my dad out one day, and uh, we went out. It was the first time I was on a sailboat. It was like felt like a yacht. I don't know. It was 25. I don't know where you technically become a yacht, but it felt like yacht. Kitchen, you got- pretty much, yeah, Yeah. so it was a yacht. So that's what I did when I was 12, hung out on yachts, as you do. Um, It was was cool to see how wind can move such a massive ship. I mean, just uh, some sails are, like, moving this boat and it's going through the water and stuff. Um, We get out to, like, where you don't see land anymore, and that was kind of cool. I think we probably swam a bit. But then uh, our neighbors who were experienced sailors uh they saw a storm was rolling in so like uh we should probably get on the boat and get in they weren't very kind of worried about it but we try and get back as quick as possible but the waves are starting to get pretty high and the storm is coming quicker than what they expected so even though our neighbors were trying to be relaxed and like calm on the outside i could see they were like actually scared um and then uh, the water started getting really high. We started getting thrown around and waves started crashing over the boat, like onto whatever the front area of the boat is, the bow. Yeah, right. Um, so, and I, I remember, I can even picture it now, standing on the side right next to the steering wheel thing and seeing waves come down and like the water like rushing to me from the boat. It's like, you know, 20 foot of boat before me and it's uh, coming at me. Uh and there was one point actually where it got so bad, where, and my brother was ten years old at the time, and he was like small and skinny. And so a, a wave actually came and crashed, and like my brother was almost like on the verge of going overboard. But my dad had his life preserver on, or like was holding onto his life preserver, and so he didn't fall overboard. But he was like completely freaking out. And so after that, we all went underneath in the cabin and were kind of like huddled because we were all like wet and cold and like are we gonna die I don't know what's going on my dad didn't know he didn't know what's going on none of us knew what's going on I mean I was scared everyone was scared even the experienced people were scared I remember thinking I this was really fun but I don't want to be here anymore like I'm ready to be back I'm ready to be back home I mean, I wanted to run away and I uh, with fear though i obviously I couldn't run away <laughs> we were stuck there how do we react to fear how do you react when you see those waves coming over the bow and you know you're going to get soaked and wet and you don't know all of like all the situation possible so maybe you could not make it maybe you could maybe it's a big story maybe it's a little but you don't even know you even have enough information to be able to make that what do i do and what do we do in our fear we blank in our fear we try and overcompensate or if you fear the well-being of your child, you're going to be over-protect- overprotective, like a helicopter parent, and your world will become theirs. We know this from experience. Um, we want to protect Colin, we want to love him, but like if if we're afraid that he's not going to make it or something, and if we're not putting trust in God in that, then we're just going to be overprotective in it. That's not a life of faith. That's a life of fear. In our fear, do we try and dominate? If you fear being seen as incompetent or not enough. In your personal interactions, interaction to try and talk your way so that others will see you as competent and others will see you as enough. You won't be relaxed, you're gonna be anxious. In our fear, do we hoard away what we're called to be generous with? Our time, our money, our kitchens and dining rooms, our houses, these are all gifts from God that we are all called to be generous with. And if we're fearful with them, if we're afraid we're gonna lose them, we're afraid they're gonna get messed up or whatever, we're not going to give those things away. We're going to keep it to ourselves. I'm just talking about. I'm not just talking about stuff. I'm talking about money. Uh, I'm talking about time. I'm talking about um, our emotions, our relationships. I mean, living in fear can look like stockpiling as much as comfort as possible to somehow protect against those threats. So, life of fear can look actually very comfortable on the outside. It might look comfortable out there, but in response, it's just res- it's it's just fear. When the storm comes, we're confronted with our complete inability to make the world how we want to be. And that's scary. Because we're used to thinking that we have this grip on the world, that we're in control, at least in some way. But in reality, we really don't have that grip. And so because of that, we don't work our muscles of dependence very much. And so when we're presented with an opportunity to grow independence, we buckle under that kind of weight because we're not used to doing it. So don't wait until a storm rolls in to depend on God. That generally doesn't work very well. We need to depend on him with everything, every day. I mean, how are we gonna make it through this horrible work week? How are we gonna deal with the circumstances of life today or tomorrow or whatever? Let alone how are we gonna deal with the hopes and the dreams that we all want to see in our lives? We were made to be dependent beings and the storm is a gift because it drives us back to the Father, drives us back to Jesus. It forces us to be dependent and, and removes that independent spirit within us. And sure, we can all go to church, but without that dependency, we really don't need God. And the Christian life is one that practices dependence. As a church, uh, we've defined a disciple as this. A disciple is a member of a family that is increasingly depending on Jesus in everything and sharing him with everyone. a member of a family that is increasingly depending on Jesus and everything and sharing him with everyone so what does it mean for you to increase in your dependency colin has a catechism that we go through sometimes probably not as much as we ought to it's like a question and answer thing and they have like songs and stuff it's like oriented for kids but the very first question is this is what is your only hope in life and death i mean it starts starts big you're asking like a three-year-old hey colin what is your only hope in life and death (laughs) and the answer is i'm not my own but belong to god that is our hope whether living or dying we are not our own we belong to god we depend on him because he's dependable he's good he has our backs he's with us he will never leave us he's never going to forget about us he sees us at our worst he he knows us to be even worse than we believe we are and has never nor will he ever turn his back on us We are the apple of his eye. So let's lean on him. Not ourselves, not our partner, not in our own ability to get the things we want. Christianity is a rebellious protest song that we play in the face of our own self-reliance. We are not enough. Jesus is enough. Now I have a little sidebar here about talking about miracles because uh, Mark has a lot of miracles and there's gonna be more miracles to come. But I think in our modern age, and not just like some culture out there, but all of us, I think it's kind of hard to comprehend like miraculous stuff because generally we don't like understand like that kind of supernatural world existing all the time. We think we know all there is about science and nature and when it doesn't fit into that box, we kind of explain it away. Now, maybe you don't think that um, intellectually, but how often do we go about in our lives kind of believing that supernatural Uh, miracles are kind of always at work. It's probably more of a stretch for us to understand the supernatural world that's going on behind this physical world that we're presented with. Now, miracles, I think in general, whether we have problems with them or not, um, I think we don't have really intellectual problems with miracles, really. I think it's really, we have faith problems when it comes to Jesus doing these kind of big, kind of crazy looking things. Because if this story is true, that means Jesus is the king. And if Jesus is the king, that means like, we have to have some kind of response to him. If this story is kind of nice or kind of like just secluded to the realm of like the Bible or the Gospels or something, that doesn't really require much of us. But if Jesus is kind of working this out in time and space and history, then that means that he is actually the king. He's actually doing things and showing himself to be who he is. And that requires something from us. So we don't have to like completely understand something for it to be true. We don't have to completely understand and get everything that's going on for it to be true, for it to be good. Um, As with all Jesus' miracles, though, I think uh, the important thing to think about is miracles might even be like a bit of a misnomer. Because really what they are are signs. They're not just good things that Jesus is like, I want to make this thing amazing happen. The reason why he's doing it is because he's pointing to who he is. There are signs before the miracles. There, There are signs pointing to who Mark says Jesus is in Mark 1. So this is the, the story of Jesus, the King, the Son of God, the Messiah. And so that is why these miracles are in here is is pointing to his identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God. So that's a bit of our fear when we're threatened. Now that makes sense. We should be, we should be afraid when we're in storms. Like, or at least our <coughs> first response. What do we do with that fear? Well, we should take it to Jesus, right? So if we're in some kind of storm, yes, it's fearful. Now what about when we're rescued we're still or the disciples are still afraid and we know of course is isn't just a story about the disciples it's a story about us so when the disciples come face to face with god they were actually like even seems to be even more afraid of that in the storm so the, the disciples rebuke jesus like teacher what like you don't care if we drown in kind of that, like sarcastic kind of way so jesus first rebukes the storm with these three words quiet be still He tells the fury and the rage to be at peace and unsurprisingly if we know Jesus' story things happen when he speaks but then jesus rebukes the disciples he says why are you so afraid do you not have any faith jesus is saying lack of faith leads to fear why are you so afraid do you not have any faith see they're like they're opposite we think lack of control is the problem or we think maybe not having enough power or not like figuring out things well enough. That's what like, that's what brings us to fear. But Jesus is saying, it's actually your lack of faith that causes you to fear. Our real problem is like the disciples, a lack of faith. And also Jesus is rebuking the people in the boat, the disciples, they're not outsiders. He's not saying to all the other people in the other boats, why are you guys so afraid? Or to the crowds that he had to get away from, how come you guys are so afraid? He says to the disciples, people who have some measure of faith, but obviously like not a ton, um, people who have chosen to follow Jesus. So that is for us. When Jesus is speaking to us, why are we so afraid? And verse 41, I mean, it, it's interesting how it's written in the Greek. It's a little bit strange. It says that they were full of fear, of fear. It's like they're filled with a great fear. And then also it says like of fear. So there's like this like compounding interest of fear going on or something in their hearts. So why are they terrified? Why would you be afraid? Like They, they were uh, very rude to Jesus. He did the thing that they said, and then they're still afraid. What's the deal? Well, he we saved them. Well, I think when we come face to face with God's truly awesome power, it can be scary. Because then, truly, mm-hmm. the facade of our control, of having you it all together. To of, it's, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a better sermon, probably. Yeah. <laughs> that's right so when we come face to face with god's awesome power um that facade of control of having it all together of of, at least in some way of of feeling like we have ownership of this world like that's shattered these disciples can't hang on to that anymore they are incomplete specks of dust little specks of dust in a plan far bigger than they could have ever imagined they don't know the entire plan either do we powers bigger than us scare us because we can't control it and it can have power over us just like the storm the disciples are helpless under christ's power and that's scary even when we understand that he has our best interest at heart we still don't want to be under anyone else's control i don't care how good you are i want to do my own thing even if it means that we miss out we're scared about giving up control, giving up power. But here's what this story teaches, teaches us is that all that power and control we think we have is just an illusion. A storm can come and take us away any second. Now, many of us here want to follow Jesus. All of us here want to follow Jesus. We're here for a reason. We wanna live lives of faith. We want to live out those lives, or at least that's what we tell ourselves. But in reality, I think, we probably have like very few moments in our days where we feel like we're truly living out lives of faith. I mean, last week, did you feel like naturally you were just inundated with the supernatural and you're just like, Oh, I'm just floating from faith to faith. <laughs> Surely it was a stretch. I mean, tomorrow morning when you can barely remember any of the sermon, um, will you be working out in your own power or will you be relying <coughs> on God? Now, I'm not talking about like the very quote unquote spiritual things, like praying and coming to church, things like that. I'm talking about, like, sending emails on Monday when it's really boring. I'm talking about dealing with colleagues, with juggling the limited amount of time we have each day, sitting in that meeting that you're just like, why am I even here? Um, Coping with being tired or exhausted or overwhelmed, all those things. Because that is our lives. Those are really our lives. Do we live lives of faith in that? I mean, for all of us in our time our standard starting point is one that it creates like a stretch of the imagination to believe and understand that the spiritual life is at work at all places at all times it doesn't feel like it at least we have this idea of what it should feel like and it's not that so if we're not engaging actively in this reality of of this story if this story doesn't really become a part of who we are um then we will rely on ourselves (coughs) because that's what we do that's our default mode and generally, you know, we can probably do it okay. We're not like horrible people, like leeching off society in all its ways. Like, we know we're contributing, we're doing our thing, but deep down, that's not enough. Christianity calls us to more. And this is where dependence comes in a practice of dependence. And that's a, an ongoing, daily reminding of ourselves that we are not our own, and that this world is permeated with the glory of God. That we by ourselves are prone to miss it completely. And who is it we depend on? Who do we ask for help when trying to navigate in storms? I mean, that's what the disciples are asking. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey this person. He has control over nature. Who is this? So let's maybe answer their question. (laughs) In the great calm, will we be full of fear or will we be full of faith? The circumstances actually didn't matter for the disciples. They were still, still fearful. And their rhetorical question in verse 41 shows how much they have missed the point in verse 40. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they didn't even talk to Jesus. They're talking to themselves. It just said, give us this faith. Like, tell us more. Like, what what just went on, Jesus? Teach us. Or give, help us not have fear. But they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Because like, picture them, like, murmuring to each other while Jesus is, like, waiting for them to interact with him. Jesus is the one with the power and control to calm nature, and Jesus is the one who loves us and rescues us when everything gets too much to handle. We are the ones who, in our insolence, when something goes immediately wrong, we get angry with God. God, why do we have to walk over to Dulcimer, haul all, haul all of our stuff out, feel weird and awkward on, this, on the, the pavement for like an hour, and then come all back here for like a, a service that we just could have done if we did things normally, and we would have been able to sleep in. We didn't, couldn't sleep in today. If you don't have kids. (laughs) We think maybe he has it out for us. Like, oh, what? You know, he just doesn't want us to like, like good things or to have good things. And we think maybe he'll save us, but he wants something more. He does want something more. He wants us to live a life of faith. He wants us to leave our fears behind. He has saved us from that. And now he wants us to live out those new lives of faith. So Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, has taken on all that we should be afraid of. Everything we should be afraid of, he has taken it on. He's put it to death. What do we have to fear? The wind obeys him. The waves obey him. What are we going to do? Who is this Jesus? It's like if you've uh, known someone for a good bit of time, and then you come to see them do something that you didn't know they could do, and you're kind of like, who is this guy? Like, what in the world? What kind of person are you? There's a a guy that we knew from a previous church, a, a fellow church planter named Braden, who was generally, uh, <laughs> that says it all. Um, he was very random and weird and awkward. He loved making people feel awkward. He thought it was like the most funny thing in the world. So generally people just felt strange around him all the time, and he found that hilarious. Um, he had a very kind of strange sense of humor, and uh, especially when like, I was around him a lot, and he was like that. He's gonna love the fact that I'm talking about him. Well, there was, you uh, literally will. There was um, one time a bunch of us uh, who were on staff at, at Riverside's Church in America. We're, and uh, we were up in uh, this other city at a dueling piano bar at night. And that's like where you have like two piano players and they're playing songs and people throw out songs and they kind of play these covers or whatever. Well, all of a sudden they started playing Blister in the Sun by Violent Femmes. Do you guys know that song at all? Uh, it's um kind of like a. We'll I don't play know. It later. Yeah, we can play it later. <laughs> we can all dance like Braden because Braden started going nuts. I mean, he. I, if we had a projector i have like some pictures of a very blurry person dancing in this like nightclub at night I mean, he I mean, he he was dancing so hard that he actually threw his back out the next day <laughs> he was like, hobbling around like trying to um, yeah take all sort of medication or whatever I mean, he's, like, throwing his body all over the place. He's, like, sweating. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's, like, beyond dancing. It's kind of, like, throwing limbs and all kinds of different kind of things. And everyone uh, in the place has stopped whatever they're doing, and they're watching this very strange person dance in front of the stage, in front of everybody. And he's, like, going into people's faces and, like, doing all these things. Um, I mean, all of us knew Brayden was crazy, but that was, like, a whole other level. Like, who is this guy? And should we associate ourselves with him? (laughs) We, we saw that day that we thought Braden was crazy, but now we knew he was truly crazy for ourselves. <laughs> you know, I can relate to these disciples. I mean, they saw some things, even in this kind of short part of Jesus's ministry here. But this is the first time that their own lives were in trouble. And the only time they themselves had to, had to lean on Jesus. Maybe they thought Jesus was powerful, but this is like a whole other level. Seeing Jesus control all of nature. So what is this like for you? Is Christianity or a new church plant a good idea for others first? Or do you see yourself in that boat, wondering about who this Jesus is? Are we living out lives of fear or lives of faith? Because this story isn't just a demonstration of power, it's Jesus revealing himself who he is to us. It's a revelation. And Jesus is putting himself on display so that we might be rescued from fear, not just storms, but fear itself and rescued to faith. Mm. The image of the fearful disciples and the powerful Jesus was a common image in early Christian art. There's lots of kind of old uh, um, mosaics of a boat as kind of like a <laughs> smallish kind of boat being tossed around by the seas. So the church may feel battered, especially as a new church. It's not like, I mean, we're kind of frail. And there may be waves coming in and we may feel like we're about to be swamped. We may feel like we're about to be overwhelmed either as a group or individually, but Jesus is in control. We don't need to fear drowning we don't need to fear sinking he's not anxious about it he's relaxed not because he's ignorant of all the ways we could die but because he has a perfect faith in the father to take care of us and jesus is with us therefore we have nothing to fear a life of fear no matter how good it looks on the outside is not a life of freedom only faith in king jesus gives us the rescue that we need so how are we going to react when the ship rocks a bit too much When we try for yet another venue and it falls through, or other more important things that are going on in your lives outside of a Sunday venue for us, will we need to be rebuked like the disciples for losing our nerve, for losing our faith? What will it take for us to know that Jesus is God and will protect us even through death? And that kind of, of dependence is the Christian life. So the good news is that if we follow Jesus, he has already saved us from the worst that we could imagine from ultimate destruction. And if we truly believe that, I think the only way it shows if we truly believe that is how we actually live in, in the present. If we truly believe in the future and the past has been taken care of Jesus, then our present will be different. That allows us to face all the much lesser threats that we're gonna face throughout our time here on earth. Now, we're not promised a life free from all storms, of course, we know that we're gonna go through storms. Though there is one storm that, because of Jesus, we will never have to go through ourselves. Because Jesus already went through it. The storm of being under the penalty for all of our wrongs, all of our lack, all the little storms that we have actually created in our lives, Jesus took all that on and put it to death. And so we find that we are the paralyzed man in need of renewal. We are the shriveled arm in need of wholeness. We are the sinners, the outsiders, and all the tax collectors needing a new life and a new community. We are the disciples full of fear. And Jesus is a surprising king who saves us from all of that and all of our storms. And when he rose again, he gave us whole hearts to actually depend on him fully in all of these things. So we're protected and preserved through death. Surely we should trust him in the storms of our life. A life of faith is much better than a life of fear. And when Jesus was facing his storm, he had these disciples who were in the boat. He had them around for a meal. And in the middle of this meal, he told them he was going to be killed for them. And that every time they gathered, they should eat and drink to remember what he's done. So he saw the bread, he took it, and he broke it. He said, this is a symbol of my body broken for you. When you come together, eat and remember what I've done. And when he took the wine, he said, this wine is a symbol of my blood poured out for you. And when you come together, drink, knowing you're saved to a new life, a life of faith, not of fear. And so his body was broken and his blood was poured out and a new family tradition was born. That's why we do this every week. And what we're saying when we take <coughs> in the bread and the wine is this. Just as we are dependent on food and drink to live, just as much as we need that in order to survive, those who come up here and eat and drink are dependent on Jesus in their lives, no matter what may come. All the good times, all the bad times, and all mostly all the in-between times. So if you don't yet believe this, please don't take this yet, but if you believe it, it doesn't matter if you're a... Uh, um, part of Redeemer or not, we want you to kind of enjoy. And um, we know if you're part of Jesus's family, that's who this table is for. Jesus is big enough, loving enough, is more than enough to take care of us in our storms. Let me pray.